Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Views on View. I am your host, Steve Edwards, the host with the face for radio and the voice for being a mind, but I am your host anyway. Today with me as our very special guest, we have Nick Basile. How are you doing, Nick? Good. Thanks for having me, Steve. Leveling up is important. I spend at least an hour every day learning ways I can improve my business or take a break and listen to a good book. If you're looking to level up, I recommend you start out with the 12-week year as a system to plan out where you want to end up and how to get the results you want. You can get it free by going to audibletrial.com slash code. That's audibletrial.com slash code. We are glad to have you back. Uh, for past reference, Nick was on episode eight of Views on View back in 2018, talking about test-driven development. It's been a while. Uh, so he is back again. And so today we are going to talk about rapid prototyping with View. So, Nick, you work for, you said you use this in conjunction with your work at Lambda School. What is, uh, what is Lambda School, first off? Yeah, so Lambda School is a school for uh, becoming a web developer or a data scientist. And our cool thing is we don't really, uh, we don't charge any uh, tuition up front. So you can come in, learn, and then once you get a job making over 50K, uh, then we do like an income share agreement where you pay us back as you're earning from your job. So... Uh, no tuition up front, no debt, no interest. It's all right there in the income share agreement. All right. So, yeah. I, yeah, I've heard about those kinds of arrangements. That's a good way for someone who might not have the money up front huh, to get an education and get going. Nick is in hot and muggy Austin, Texas right now. Uh, I am in hot and not nearly as muggy Portland, although it has been beautiful and warm for the past few days, 100 degrees, which is, has everybody freaking out in Portland, of course. Okay. So rapid prototyping in view. Uh, why don't you uh, tell us what that is, first of all, and, and we'll get into how it's so useful or why it's mm -hmm. useful in view. Yeah. So uh, what I'm doing right now is it's actually really different than maybe some of my earlier work and what I was talking about a couple of years ago. I'm a, a product designer, so uh, really focused on uh, like designing interfaces, designing experiences. But a lot of times when I'm designing, I need to represent a lot of state and a lot of different permutations of an interface. And that's really hard to do in design tools. Uh, and uh, like I can make a Figma mockup of like a static interface, but I can't necessarily represent every single thing that a user needs to do if they click on it. And that only compounds if you have like multiple different pages in a flow and they have different states depending on what you've done before. Uh, and so in those cases, you really need to turn to code, right? To really represent uh, everything because that's as, as close to the metal as you're gonna get. Uh, and Vue is far and away my favorite tool to do that in. So when, when I talk about rapid prototyping, in my mind, what I'm doing is taking a interface that I've designed and translating that into code so that I can go and test it and I can put it in front of users and actually do proper user tests and see how they're going to be using it uh, as quickly as possible. So yeah, so that's that's kind of my process and, and what I've been using Vue for uh, and to create these rapid prototypes. Okay, so when I hear state as a developer, the first thing I think of is Vuex. So mm -hmm. is that's not what you're talking about. You're talking about your interface and how it changes based on what somebody's clicked, right? So the yeah. condition of an interface after mm -hmm. changes that users click that's on. A, that's a good call out. Yeah, so I, I'm talking about the state of the interface, not necessarily the, the view store or anything like that. Before we started talking, you were telling me you were talking about how you used, oh, that the fact that what you do for the rapid prototyping isn't necessarily what you would want to be doing in production. It's just more for developing what your final product will look like, right? Mm -hmm. 
totally. Yeah, I break all the rules, which is <laughs> it's fun, right? Um, right? Because we don't we don't have to worry about TDD in this environment. We don't have to worry about uh, how am I going to put this on the server and uh, does everything need to be super secure? Like we don't have have all those considerations because we're just trying to see like how quickly can I get this thing out there so I can put it in front of people. So it's kind of uh, it reminds me a lot of like cowboy coding when I was just starting out back in the day. It's it's a little bit like returning to the wild west of development, which I think is super fun. Uh, and and Vue, using Vue to actually prototype, kind of going back to that previous point you had, what I what I typically do, and so I, I start with like the Vue CLI because it, it's just the best thing out there. Just boom, I, I have my preset config, I know exactly what I need. I'm pulling in Vue router uh, and I can just hit the ground running there. So that's typically where I'm starting for any prototype. And then from there, it's like, okay, uh, what was the first page in the flow? And I, I can go from there. And so I think uh, a natural inclination here would be like, well, why can't I just use like HTML and CSS for this? Why do I, why do I need something like Vue? And it's, it comes back, and this actually is kind of going back to your other point, like uh, Vue makes it so easy to do like the state management stuff. So just having like your data uh, attributes there that you can just change and that you can directly impact with your methods is it's such like a time saver instead of me having to worry about like all this like jQuery or writing vanilla JavaScript and trying to keep everything in my head. It's in the component. It's right there. I can see what's going on. And that just speeds up my development even faster. So that's why I love Vue. It's just easy to get boom off the ground with the CLI. And then once I have something in place, uh, I can really easily and quickly see what's going on. I don't have to worry about getting lost in like a big like app.js file or something like that. Okay, so I'm a little confused about how this process is working from the beginning. So mm -hmm. let's start with the sample site or, you know, Joe's site, whatever we want to call mm -hmm. it. So you've designed it, right? Sure, so you've yeah. designed how everything looks in Figma, I think you mentioned? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, yeah, Figma, Sketch, probably the two most well-known design tools that I hear talked about from, from other people. So you've got your site. So now you want to implement that into a view component, right? So you yep. spin up a you use view CLI, you spin up a new site. So you've got your first component. So what are you doing? Are you actually slicing all your images and dropping them in somehow? Or mm -hmm. you're just using HTML, CSS to design your site around your images? Or what exactly are you doing? at the starting yeah point. that's a great question so i typically will just code it so i will i will write the html i'll write the css i'll make it look like the design there uh which is great because as as a designer sometimes you'll think through a design and you're like in your head like oh this is going to be great the engineers they can take it and run with it and then you have to like go walk a mile in their shoes when you're prototyping and actually try to do it yourself and you're like huh flex is not going to work that way for me so for me it's like a really nice sanity reality check that the designs i'm creating are actually something that's going to be implementable by by my uh, developer team. And so that's, that's and many developers point. just fell in love with you just for saying that. <laughs> I know it's, it's, it's a collaborative process that, that we have. We do a lot of back and forth, but it is nice uh, for me to have that sanity check. And so that way I can push back a little bit and say, oh no, I think we, we can implement this because I, it's clearly done in the prototype. That's, that's just a nice place to start a conversation from. So, so yeah. And, and it also gives them like a leg up on actually implementing this into production as well, because they don't necessarily have to write everything from scratch. They can kind of take something that's existing and move forward with it. The funny thing with, with our team though, is that I'm doing this all in view and then in production, we're using React. So they, they can't copy paste the exact view component, but they can take like the, 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 the HTML and the CSS and just like the general structure of it and, and run with it from there. So yeah, so I, I think it, 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 in terms of like actually implementing it, I am coding the HTML and CSS because for me that's faster, but I, I could see a world where uh, you, you upload a image and then create a clickable prototype from there and maybe have something uh, working that way. Is that where something like maybe Storybook comes into 
play. I'm I'm a little light on the design side, so I'm not, mm-hmm. not sure. Is that where you use a tool like that, maybe, or is that mm-hmm. completely separate? So I I've used in my experience Storybook more in the context of like design systems and like just representing individual components. And so that's I think where where I've typically seen it used as opposed to like full feature flows. Gotcha. Okay. So so what you talked about and the benefits of this is state change. So how are you doing that? Are you doing like uh, okay? So I've got one component that's got here's what it looked like first. Now I want to see what it looks like when somebody clicks on an item in the header. Is that a new component then that you're building mm-hmm. that shows the changes? So you just copy paste the template portion of it and modify things or how does that work? Yeah. So uh, I'll, I'll do it the same way. So if it's the same component and it's just showing like different um, states there, uh, I'll, I'll stay in that component and I'll just kind of say, okay, in this like V show in this and V, uh, v else maybe for the, for the other state or I'll change the style. So I, I typically use Tailwind CSS. Oh, you I, answered my next question. It. Okay. <laughs> awesome. Uh, yeah. Tailwind, I, I can go on forever. That could be a separate podcast about that. But, but yeah, so typically using Tailwind CSS. So I'm typically toggling classes, like using dynamic classes uh, and computer properties there to kind of say, okay, if we're in this state, use use these styles or use this use this class that I want to use. Um, so that's how I'm typically representing it. So pretty pretty true to life there. That's kind of how I would do it in, in production. And it's, it, but it's, it just maps so well. And so it's so easy to just say like, okay, like for example, uh, I was doing a, read a prototype of our application flow. So we're a school, we need to accept people. And so you have a prototype of the application uh, form that people fill out when they're applying. And so uh, one of the things that I was prototyping that I couldn't do in my design tools was if you click one option, we want to show like this support text. And if you click the other option, uh, we'll show this one. And yeah, in Figma, I can do that for like one time. But if you want to do like a whole form and like all the different permutations, you can't like, it gets really complicated to render that. I would need to have like 80 different artboards and pages. And so, uh, but I can do that in view in like two seconds. So I would just create a component for like the the toggle there. And I can pass down props or slots for whatever the content should be. And then I can toggle it really easily. And in my interface uh, or in the prototype, have it look and feel like the real application. And when I go into a user test, then the user is like, oh, I like, I, you're not faking this here. I totally understand what's going on. And that's just so much faster than if I was going to try and do the same thing in Figma. So does that does that make more sense there? Yeah. So you're still only using one component, right? Or you should yeah, or using so, child components as well for the different state changes on that page. That's a great question. So uh, it depends on the prototype. So if it's something like more robust, I will end up having child components. But if it's something like I'm just trying to get this off the ground as fast as possible, I typically write everything in one file and don't even try to break it up. Okay. So I'm assuming there's cases where you're going to need multiple components. Like, for instance, if you click on a menu item and you want to see, Mm -hmm. okay, now my page is completely changed because it's a different page with a different layout, then that's a Mm -hmm. new view component then, correct? Yeah, totally. And that'd be like a separate page. Yeah, totally. Okay. All right. So, but the end result is you're just looking from a visual standpoint. Okay, when they click on this, this is how it changes. You're not caring about API calls or using dummy data and, and stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so most of the data I use is just like hard coded right into the component. I I have worked with some libraries that I think Mirage JS, where you're like faking API calls and you're pulling in fake data uh, locally, and those have been great when I've needed them. But I've I found they're pretty much overkill for me. So I'm not worrying anything about API design. I'm just kind of saying here's here's the data I would expect you to need at this point in time, uh, and just kind of letting you go from there. Yeah, Mirage can get pretty basic, but it can be it can get pretty complex too, depending on how. Mm-hmm. Uh, how much you want to use it. I've used it before too for that. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. And one thing I will say is, so sometimes I will need to like persist state. So for instance, uh, if you go from like one page of your app to the next page, and then if you want to go back and like see the same state. And so uh, what's tricky there is like, I could reach for a tool like UX and kind of keep it all stored there. And, but sometimes that even that feels like overkill. And so what I will do is I'll just use local storage for that. So every, for instance, like field has a key, just throw that in there and just retrieve it every time the page is, is loaded on that screen. So that I find really works really well for me. Have you thought about learning to do native iOS development? Are you using Swift at work? Or maybe you've considered writing applications for Mac OS. We have a podcast that covers all of that called iFreaks. We have a new panel and a lot of exciting things to talk about. So come check us out at iFreaksShow.com. Let me think about this. So, I mean, is that basically the gist of the rapid prototyping? You've got a component, you add your stuff. If you need new layouts, then you have separate components. You use your, I assume you're setting up view routes to navigate between them. Do you use like dynamically loaded components at all or anything uh, yeah, uh, that, like uh, that? That's a good question. I don't typically, it's it's really uh, just like, what's, what's that state going to be for that page here and what it's going to be? And I, I think like, I'm not preaching anything revolutionary here. It's, it's, it's kind of like the most bare bones version of view you can use, but I just don't see a lot of people using it in this context here. And it's, it's such a powerful tool for like, I just want to have my interface be as realistic as possible with the minimum least amount of effort. And Vue is like the perfect tool for that. I haven't found anything else quite like Vue to really just get off the ground and get running with it. Like you can reach for React, like that's that's a great tool, but it's even like React it's with like the JSX and everything feels like too much, too heavy for a quick little prototype. But you get a component off the ground, you get running with it. And it's, it's, it's like magic every time. Well, yeah, that's the benefit of the single file component in Vue is that you have that separate template section that is HTML, you know, mm-hmm. you're not having right. to render anything, no JSX. It's just, here's what the final HTML needs to look like. Mm-hmm. So once you get that done, copy and paste, obviously to a certain extent, because you're going to have, you know, your your variables plugged in there, your data values plugged in there from, you know, from the script section, obviously, unless you maybe hard code some in and let them copy paste. So then the React people, so what do you do? You just take that template section and they copy paste it and then do the work in React to use JSX to convert to that format. Yeah, pretty much. They'll, they'll like go through the, the prototype with me and kind of say, okay, like, what were you doing here? What was your thought process? And I'll leave comments along the way as well, especially for like trickier things. But yeah, it's, it's, it's more, much more of a conversation than, uh, than anything else. Hmm. Okay. So in going back to the CSS, you know, we, we briefly touched on Tailwind for that. Mm-hmm. Well, let's, let's go back even farther. What was it? Were you using another tool before you started using Vue for rapid prototyping? This kind of mm-hmm. stuff what were you using before? Yeah, so I was trying to do it all in my design tool. I was trying to like make Figma work for me. And Figma mm-hmm. is like a phenomenal tool and it has really great prototyping functionality. But the problem with Figma is like for every single piece of like state in the interface. So like if I have a hover effect on a button, I have to have like one screen for the prior state and then another screen for like the end state. Uh, and, and then I can animate them, right? But like if you multiply those permutations out like over the course of an entire application, that's that's so much work and so much duplication. And and yes, things like components like tail. I'm oh, sorry, uh, Figma components uh, really help with that. But they it, it gets unwieldy very quickly, uh, especially like anything that gets like mildly complicated and from like a like an interface state perspective gets gets really hard to start designing and that's where i was like hmm and so at lambda school i was running into like a couple of these interfaces where i was like i need to like represent a lot of state in this how am i going to do this in figma and and build something that i can put in front of a user and actually test and get their honest reaction and so that's when i was like huh i i know how to work with you why don't i just try building this as quickly as i can and and it's been this phenomenal tool for me that way 
So, okay. So once you, once you, uh, realized that Vue would be useful for this and you started to use it, was Tailwind your first choice out of the gate for the CSI side of things? I think it's, it's always my first choice these days. And I, I use it for just about everything I, I work on these days. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was far and away my first choice just because it's, it's so easy. Uh, and if I'm, I'm really trying to prototype fast, I just pull in the CDN because I'll use all the defaults. And if mm-hmm. I need to do a little bit of customization, I can, I can do it inline in, in the component or it, uh, it's not that hard to just pull it into the CLI either. And, and just, you have the full build there as well. Right. And then you can, yeah, well, then you can tweak it and tweak all your variables and override stuff as needed and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've been looking at Tailwind for a long time. I've got it on my list of things to definitely get in and learn. A, uh, a buddy of mine who's a uh, one of the front end leads at a big uh, development shop here in Portland, he swears by it and he uses it in view and they use it in Drupal front ends in a decoupled way. And it's, yeah, it's really slick. So just for, so why don't we, for those who might not be familiar with Tailwind, uh, explain what it is and how it works and how it's different as compared to a bootstrap or a Bulma or a Beautify or something like that. Yeah, totally. So Tailwind, I think, describes itself as a utility-first CSS framework. And so what do we mean by like utility-first? Uh, I think everybody's using a utility class, they just don't know it. So if you've used Bootstrap and you put like the text center class to center um, some text anywhere, you've, you've used the utility class. And basically what the idea there is that you have one CSS class that maps to one CSS property. So in that text center case, it's text align center, right? That's the property. And that's it. That's all that class is doing. Uh, and so Tailwind is built around that entire concept. Every single class that Tailwind uses maps one-to-one to a, a CSS property like that. So in Bootstrap, you have something like uh, the grid system, right? Where you've got column medium six and stuff like that. Uh, Tailwind does have an equivalent, which is like actually mapping to like grid properties, but you don't have like these pre-built components out of the box, right? So there's no button component in Tailwind. There's no form component. There's no card, right? Instead, you have like the border, uh, the rounded component for border radius. You have BG white for the background, and then you have P6 for like some padding. And pretty quickly, you have that same card aesthetic uh, without the uh, like the complexity of like trying to manage all those things. And the cool thing about Tailwind is like once you have your build set up, you can extract those individual utility classes into those larger kind of component classes. So you can have a card class class that is leveraging the underlying utility classes, those, so those three that I mentioned, in your code, and it's defined exactly how you want to be using it as well. Um, yeah, I think that's what top. the apply functionality is that that is. Yeah, exactly. So you do like add apply in your style sheet uh, or in your SAS or whatever, uh, and then just chain the, the classes that you want to be applying to that p- the parent class, uh, and you're off to the races. Right. And so now one of the discussion points that I've heard before about Tailwind is that you know, because you have one class, one property, if you get an element that needs a bunch of classes and your HTML is like, oh my gosh, all this stuff, which is fine. Mm-hmm. I'd rather read the finished product than the HTML. <laughs> to be honest, yeah. I'm not concerned about, you know, too many classes in there. But, and then one of the things you can do with Vue, I know, and I think this Tailwind overall is you can tree shake. And I think that if I remember correctly, they just built in some functionality that does that in Tailwind without having to use, was it post CSS or purge CSS mm-hmm. that I think. So in other words, it takes, it goes through and looks at all your code and your classes and then removes anything from the base tailwind that isn't used anywhere in your product. So you get a, a more lean and mean, what's the word I'm looking for? Man, I'm tripping all over myself today. Um, <laughs> deployed build. 
Yeah, it does a, a really nice job of that. Yeah, so you used to have to pull in like purge CSS like externally, uh, but now I think it, they, they built it into the platform though. I haven't, I think I've done that once. I haven't, I need to work on that a little bit more. But yeah, so it, it kind of really minifies the file. And so when you look at like the, the outputted file, like the biggest file size, it's huge. It's an enormous kind of framework because they have all these little classes uh, and then like responsive variations and all that. But when you like, when you do that minification, it ends up being like way smaller than anything else out there. So it's, uh, it's, it's really nice for that right yeah i guess minified and gzipped and and so mm -hmm. on and so forth so yeah really cool yeah it's got it on my list of things to learn <laughs> along yeah. with many other things for sure <laughs> many other things totally. for sure so mm -hmm. do you use so your primary use then is just stuff for lambda school for the school itself mm -hmm. and your tools and, and yeah so on yeah, so when I'm, I'm prototyping, that's for sure. And then I, I use Vue all the time, so I'm, I'm big on that train. So definitely use Vue for like all my side projects, anything I want to do there. And a lot of those are, are more, I would I would call production. So in my, my day job, product designer, so I, I don't touch the code as much as I used to. But in the evening, always working on projects. And, and that's where I'll, I'll do some more of those like production builds. And, and also rapid prototypes as well. So if I, I have an idea, I'm like, hmm. Do I, do I buy the domain? Do I spend a lot of my evenings working on this? Or can I build this really quickly as a test, put it in front of people, and then see if this is something they want to actually use? That's where I'll use a lot of my uh, rapid prototypes. Gotcha. Gotcha. So anything else to discuss in terms of view for rapid prototyping? Any other steps in the process or anything you want to cover? Yeah. Uh, let me think here. So... I think that's that's just about it. It's 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 not like I said earlier, like not like a I think revolutionary process. It's just like the mindset shift away from this has to be perfect, it has to be flawless, it has to consider every edge case. It, it, instead, you can use Vue for like these really simple use cases, uh, simple relative to like maybe building a production app, and it's like still just as powerful, still like the the perfect tool for the job. So I think it's a really testament to use flexibility and like you can you, you can yes you can totally use it to build these huge production things and you can also use it for these like really quick and dirty like experiments and, and prototypes and it's it's still going to be that tool there for you so in terms of like if you, if you had to pick a javascript framework and you're like man i want to use it for all these different applications i i don't think you can really go wrong using view oh i agree i agree wholeheartedly <laughs> great okay well if there's nothing else more to talk about prototyping then we can move mm -hmm. on to picks Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood and I just launched my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. It's up on Amazon. We self-published it. I would love your support. If you want to go check it out, you can find it there. The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. Have a good one. Max out. All right. Uh, as the guest, I will let you go first. Sure. So I had one. So when, I, when I'm not uh, working on prototypes or, or doing uh, side projects, I do, do love a good video game. And one that came out recently is Ghost of Tsushima. Uh, and it is awesome. It is like an Assassin's Creed, essentially like spiritual successor, but it's based in uh, Japan and you're playing as a samurai and it has just been taking all of my free time uh, that, I, that I have. Uh, and it's been such a fun joy to play. Okay, yeah, I'm not much into gaming myself, but uh, yeah, I'm looking at the the page that you listed. That's some impressive graphics. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it looks it looks really nice. Yeah, good, good. Yeah, my pick. I'm gonna go with something sort of old school. One of there's a probably one of the more books, popular books from a pop culture standpoint, at least that I've heard of over years, and I can remember hearing about it. You know, back in the '90s, is the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. You know, over. Over the years, I've always heard many of the, the different phrases that have come out of the book. I believe like, you know, 42 is the answer to everything, if I remember correctly. Uh, you know, there's turtles all the way down, you know, that kind of stuff. But I haven't actually read it yet. So 
went on, <laughs> actually went online at our library, our local county library here in Portland to reserve it. And all the copies are out in both e-copies and hardcover copies, unless I want to travel across town. Uh, but fortunately, a neighbor of mine here in my neighborhood has a copy and he actually has the, uh, what's the term, the complete and unabridged version. So you've got the Hitchhiker's Guide, the restaurant at the end of the universe, life, the universe and everything. So long and thanks for all the fish and young Zapoid plays it safe and mostly harmless. So class couple of those I haven't heard about, but uh, I'm looking forward to reading it. So my pick is the ultimate Hitchhiker's Guide and I'll, I guess I'll provide reports later once I've actually read it, but I'm definitely looking forward to reading it because I've heard people just crack up laughing every time they talk about about reading that book. So, all right, well, that's it. Well, thank you, Nick, for coming and joining us. I appreciate hearing about how Vue can be used as a non-production tool, but still a very useful tool in, in prototyping. Thank and you for having me. My pleasure. And for everybody else, we will see you next time on Views on Vue. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.